Coming up on today's show, we've got summertime reading recommendations. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 34 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from JeffAdamsWrites.com. And I'm Will from WillKanaus.com. Hey there. Hello to you. How you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Doing good. Good, good to hear. Glad to be here for <laughs> week 34. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess we should start off with our correction. Mm, yes, someone made a boo-boo. I made a boo-boo, but you didn't correct it. Oh, please. Like I can remember... <laughs> So, in last week's episode, after Charlie David's interview, I mentioned, you know, 10 years since Dante's Cove, blah, 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 and that Kevin was still stuck in the mirror. Turns out it's Toby that's stuck in the mirror, not Kevin. And and thanks to OIC Ozzy over on Twitter for the heads up on that. Appreciate it. Went back. Look at the DVD, and you're like, yeah, sure enough. Toby's in that mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. What are you going to do? He's still stuck there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I goofed that up. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I was going to throw you a, a, a scintillating and a snappy segue. Please do. <laughs> so, Jeff, how is your writing going? It's good. Was that um, a good segue? That was a good segue. Yeah, uh, sucked, but... I'm still editing uh, on the Mackinac Island story, which, hey, I gave it a title since we recorded last. Now called Somewhere on Mackinac. Hmm. Which matches up nicely with the whole somewhere in time theme and being on the island and all that stuff. Yeah, I like that. So my, the, the goal is that you get it this week. Um, I've got about 40 more pages on my paper edit to do because I'm, I'm one of these writers who prints it all out and marks it all up. Because mm-hmm. um, I definitely see things there that I don't see when I'm reading it on a screen. It's just the way my eyeballs work, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I'll, once I get that cleaned up, I will give it to you. Sounds good. I look forward on to paper reading. so that you can mark it all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I look forward to reading it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to your, to your reaction, too. It's going to be fun. I, I've enjoyed both writing it and reading it, so it's good that I enjoy reading it. So, you know, if I don't enjoy it, nobody else will probably. That's true. Yeah. Good. Um, I did get a rejection this week. I, I submitted a story to an anthology, mm-hmm. and it got turned down for the anthology, but the encouraging bit that came back was that they really liked the characters, really liked the story, and encouraged me to expand it up to uh, the 15K minimum to get it published as a short on its own. So I'm going to be looking at that because I do like this story. Um, it only needs about 4,000 words added to it, so it's only like a couple scenes. And I think there's pretty easily some additional stuff I could do with those guys. I think I was writing short to help you know get it to anthology size, which had to be under 12. So, be messing with that uh, probably while you're reading somewhere on Mackinac. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, also, a couple of really nice reviews this week uh, that I was just really like, oh, that's so sweet, over. Um, Jess, who's a podcast listener, uh, left an awesome review of the Hat Trick Box set on Facebook and Goodreads. So, thank you for that, Jess. Very much appreciate it. So glad you liked Simon and Alex. Um, I always like it when the boys find new fans. It's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Jason over at Joyfully J uh, gave me five stars for Make the Right Choice. A uh, little bittersweet on that review because it was Jason's last review for Joyfully J. After two and a half years and 170 reviews, 
That boy read a lot of books. Yes, he did. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, he did. Uh, but Jason's been a, a, a longtime fan and supporter of Hat Trick, which I very much appreciate. And uh, he, he was doing he does great reviews there. I mean, everybody, not, not to call him out specifically, because Joyfully Jay is, is a fantastic site and good reviews. But he, he'll be missed, because he, he, he had good insight on stuff. Nice guy. And uh, hopefully, whatever he moves on to next that uh, is taking him away from this site will be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So, you found some stuff in Entertainment Weekly you wanted to share this week. Well, you, you know me. I keep my my finger on the pulse of pop culture and entertainment news. Indeed. I wanted to get your opinion of, apparently, there are two new uh, phrases that are trending uh, in reference to fictional characters. Uh, recently, the hashtags... Give Elsa a girlfriend has been trending along with give Captain America a boyfriend. Uh, okay. So, uh, as we we know, they are working on Frozen 2 yes. now. Uh, and there is a contingent of fans who would like Elsa to have a girlfriend. Okay. Uh, sure. I mean, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Disney has often shown that they, they might be willing to expand in that direction periodically. I don't know if they're going to do it with one of their most major tent poles. And I don't know that it necessarily serves the story. You can't just give Elsa a girlfriend for the hell of it. There has to be some aspect to the story that makes that work really well. And I kind of feel the same with Captain America, too. I mean, actually, I'm a little more hesitant on the Captain America side because... I. I often like my superheroes to kind of connect to their comic book alter egos, and I don't think he's had a boyfriend in the comics, per se. Well, do you think, um, strictly speaking, from a storytelling uh, and cinematic perspective in respect to uh, Captain America, do you think characters that have up to this point been, you know... Uh, the romantic lives have not been explored. Do you think that it's uh, in a realistic option? Well, I mean, if you look at superhero romances over time, it always gives you that plot point of, oh my goodness, my significant other's been kidnapped, I have to go get them. So there's something you could do with that. But I mean, certainly in the Avengers movies... And I take that whole universe, you know, the only romantic relationships I believe that we've seen are with Tony Stark and Pepper Potts and Hawkeye and we saw his family Mm -hmm. in one of those movies and whatever's going on between the Hulk and um, what's her name. Mm -hmm. Captain America has never really had that connection except maybe tangentially with... um, Agent Carter. Mm-hmm. I think, well, okay, in the, in the case of Captain America, uh, I totally ship Cap and Bucky. There is total chemistry there, uh, 100%. Uh, if he was ever going to have a boyfriend, it would have to be the Winter Soldier and nobody else. Well, yeah, I totally agree um, with that. Do you think, uh, I think in Cap's case, um, he... Uh, I think he loved Agent Carter 
perhaps in a platonic way. I think... She might have been more for him than he was for her. Well, For uh, sure. Um, as so, we know in the TV series. And I think uh, I, Cap has come off more... Um, almost asexual. Uh, it's like mm. relationships aren't even on his radar. Uh, on the other hand, Elsa... Uh, um, there's really no indication of what her... Uh, preference in romantic partners might be yeah uh her sister certainly had her hands full in the first movie with uh several men uh screwing her over but um <laughs> she landed um, with the right guy eventually um so i think um uh, i think it would be nice if these two beloved characters had uh uh a significant and meaningful romantic pairing as long as it made sense within the context of whatever stories uh, end up being told with them. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. I don't think you do it just to do it. I think you've got to... If you're going to give Cap a relationship, there's got to be a a good reason behind it. And if you're going to give Elsa a relationship, it's got to work for the story being told, whether it's man or woman or Mm -hmm. big green giant, you know. In any case, I'm rooting for both of them. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so this week, here in the U.S., uh, two of our beloved reality TV competition franchises uh, had their finales. Indeed, yes. <laughs> and as as most of our listeners well know, as we've been you know blathering on and on uh, in recent weeks, The Voice ended and the current season of Dancing with the Stars recently ended as well. Mm-hmm. And they ended uh, the way they were supposed to. Yes, they did. <laughs> yeah. That's not always the case. To be fair with the boys, <laughs> I think if any of those four had won, that would have been okay. Mm-hmm. But Alice had won, and that's really the way it was supposed to be. Yes, it was. Um, she And she did some killer stuff her last uh, two nights on the show. Between the song that she wrote original, which was a great twist on the voice this year that the four finalists had to write their own songs. Uh, And she also did a tremendous version of uh, Somewhere from West Side Story Mm -hmm. uh, for one of her final performances. So congratulations, Dallas, and get that album out soon. (laughs) Uh, Dancing with the Stars, of course, now won, and that was exactly how it was supposed to be. There wasn't really another option there. Yes, Ginger and MMA Girl were great, whatever her name was. Um... As our listeners well know, we really only watched Niall and very little else on the show this season. Um, his Sounds of Silence number on Monday Night Show was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, he really brought it right there. Toward, I mean, he was great all season, but the last two or three weeks, he really brought some extraordinary stuff to the dance floor with PETA. Um, so congratulations to them as well. Yeah. And that wraps up that sequence of reality shows. And next, it's Ninjas and Spartans. Yeah, we are fans of American Ninja Warrior. Uh, I uh, I really grok that show. It's my thing. It's my jam. I love it to pieces. Uh, so I'll be uh, definitely tuning in for the rest of the summer for that. Oh, yeah. Um, there's also a new uh, reality uh, teen competition show uh, called Simply Spartan. It's based on uh, the Spartan races that, you know, take place 
uh, all over the country and I believe around the world. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, a new show, so we'll definitely be checking that out. That looks interesting. We've been watching some Spartan races on NBC Sports Network, mm-hmm. and those are interesting. And this Team Spartan thing looks interesting, and it's paired with ninjas, so why not? Yeah. Yeah. Some other good stuff that we're looking forward to in the summer that we'll either talk about or not on the show. Um, Angie Tribeca comes back on June 6th. Mm-hmm. And if you did not watch that first season on TBS, that was a hoot. It's just, it was ridiculous in the vein of like Airplane. But yet I can watch it because I'm not like a big fan of the Airplane movies. But this was somehow smart. Steve Carell and his wife executive produced this thing and it's a hoot. Um, Unreal's back on the 6th also. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. We probably talk about that a little bit on the show, depending on where the storylines go this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to Mr. Robot coming back in July for my evil techie hacker dark show. Yeah. So shall we hear from from Greg over at the Bureau of General Services Queer Division to find out what he's got to say about author Sarah Schulman? Yeah, let's see what he has cooking up. So we welcome back to the podcast Greg from the Bureau of General Services Queer Division in New York City. Welcome, Greg. Hi, good to be here. So you've been reading a book from Sarah Schulman. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, it's called The Cosmopolitans. Here's a little visual. Um, it's a novel that takes place in New York uh, in 1958. And we're told that right off the bat. Um, and it's uh, it takes place mostly on 10th Street uh, in two apartments. Um, so it has a very specific location and time. It's uh, 10th Street between University and Broadway in 58, which I know from my art history background is an interesting time. There were a lot of little galleries sprouting up there. And, and that gets mentioned a bit, um, uh, this burgeoning avant-garde scene in New York. Um, and, 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 you know, the you know about that history, I bring to it. But she definitely roots you in it uh, with, with the details she gives. Um, something I didn't realize till this morning. I haven't actually finished the book completely. I'm nearing the end. And I just noticed today that there's a note on style in the back. And I thought, oh, well, I guess it's kind of good to not know that going in. And I don't know how much I want to say. I don't want to spoil the book for uh, any of your... Uh, viewers, um, but it's basically, she said, it's, uh, she uses, she's looking at two novels. Um, one is by Balzac uh, called Cousin Bet, um, which is kind of funny because I read that book years ago and, and the main character in the book is Bet and uh, she is referred to by other characters as Cousin Bet. And I, it sounded familiar, but somehow I, I didn't catch that. I read that a long time ago. Uh, and the other book is James Baldwin's Another Country, which actually takes place in, you know, it's a similar setting because it's late late 50s, early 60s, New York, uh, also in Greenwich Village, Bohemia, and um, and there are a lot of similarities. I mean, they're, they're kind of deep psychological studies of of the, the primary characters. Um, so you have Cousin Bet, who is from Ohio, uh, and moved to Ohio, <laughs> small town Ohio, um, because of a, a family being shunned by her family uh, uh, for refusing to kind of go along with the, a charade uh, when, when this man she had a relationship 
marries her cousin and everyone wants her to play nice instead of saying, but he seduced me. <laughs> uh, so they shun her and she flees to New York in, um, it's 1928. Um, so she, she comes right before the big crash um, and she befriends this guy. She works at a diner. Uh, she bef befriends someone her, her own age. She's in her early 20s, I guess, named Earl. And he's black. He's from uh, North Carolina. And we learn that he was shot by his family and fled uh, because he was found having sex with another man. Um, so it's a black gay man uh, and a white straight woman um, making it in New York or <laughs> surviving in New York. Um, and it, most of the novel takes place in 58, but we know that they have this three-decade history of, of friendship. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating, the characters are fascinating, the time period, at least for me, is fascinating, I think for most people. I mean, in American history and world history, post-World War is when our world was shaped in many ways, you know. Before that, it feels so distant. But then if you look right after the war, 50s, 60s, 70s, it still feels, well, maybe because I've studied it a lot, it still feels very current to me. <clears throat> it seems like our world. You know, I think that's part of the fascination with uh, something like Mad Men um, is that kind of coming into our current uh, way of seeing things, the marketing, and actually that plays a role too because Bet ends up working at an ad agency. So it's it's that uh, it is about that America, the consumerist America that's coming into being, and this kind of bright new future in a way, but also the manipulation uh, that comes along with with advertising and marketing. Um, so we see that in their personal lives as well as in the, the culture at large. Um, interesting. That sounds like a really interesting book. And I've been reading some other, one other historical recently um, called Jazz Moon. Um, in fact, Joe Oconco is going to be in your store um, on June 8th, I think it is. And uh, so I may have to pick this one up because it kind of bridges that because his book's back in the in the late 1920s and knowing this relationship, bringing it forward into the into the 50s, that could be interesting. Yeah, yeah, I I you know I was an art historian before opening the bureau, so um, I love history. I love historical novels. I love learning about the history through the novel. I, I like reading, you know, nonfiction history as well, but it's interesting to, you know, flesh it out in a different way when you're able to peer into someone's head. And it is, you know, it's that kind of novel where the, the narrator sees all uh, in a way and is sympathetic to whomever she's talking about at a, a given time. Uh, um, but you, yeah, you get to see their, the machinations within their mind, what's going on. Uh, um, it's also interesting to me because I read Sarah's, uh, nonfiction work. This is the first time I'm reading her fiction. She's written a lot. This is her 17th book. Oh, wow. okay. <laughs> uh, she's yeah. And fiction and nonfiction. Um, I think the, the first book I read, which I got out here as well is, um, the gentrification of the mind, uh, witness to a lost imagination, which came out right about when we started the Bureau. So it was like, I met her, this was a book that was getting a lot of attention and I read it and I was, I was very impressed with it uh, about 
it, it makes sense, you know, I, I am able to see like her thinking in this novel related to that book, related to other things uh, that I've heard her talk about, that I've read, um, and I see a lot of themes coming together, and, and so much of them have to do with, um, with family and friendships, with betrayal, um, and with healing and how healing takes place. Um, and, and the need to recognize what has happened in order for that to take place and for individuals to see each other and hear for each other uh, and, and really take account of what has happened. Um, so I, you know, there's so many lines in there. I'm like, this could be in her nonfiction as well. Uh, I, I see those kinds of themes coming together. Another book that she wrote, um, uh, nonfiction is Ties That Bind, Familial Homophobia and Its Consequences, um, which is a really great read. I mean, any queer person, most queer people, I think, should be able to relate to it unless they are so lucky that they just have <laughs> a wonderful, open, loving family. With the, you know, uh, but, but most of us have experienced some kind of uh, rejection, disappointment, the sense that somehow we failed our families, our parents, um, maybe originally feeling we failed ourselves. <laughs> um, so I see some themes in, in the book and how people are relating to each other and then like little nuggets of psych psychological insight that she, she brings to bear on the, on the situation in the book. Um, but so much of it is about we have to acknowledge what has taken place. You cannot move forward if you don't recognize that. Um, so, and she has a book coming out this fall, which I meant to write the whole title down, but it's called Conflict is Not Abuse, uh, um, and nonfiction. Um, and it's this idea that you have to have conflict in order to resolve things that, you know, uh, if, if there's a resolution needed, there must be a conflict, and therefore that must be addressed. Um, she, I see this consistency in the fiction and the nonfiction um, with, the, with regard to that, this, this need to say, to speak truth, uh, uncomfortable truths maybe, and, and uh, to, to sit with them. Um, she's Jewish, she's uh, born and raised in New York, um, another book that she wrote uh, is called Israel, Palestine, and the Queer International. Um, and anyone who is remotely awake knows that Israel sends full of hysteria. It's very, you know, people either really want to talk about it or really don't want to talk about it. Uh, and certainly, you know, if you're Jewish, it's like you're going to talk about it. It's, it's unavoidable. Avoidable, um, and uh, and she does it really well in that book. So she's interested in conflict. She's interested in the ways that people deal with or don't deal with it. Um, the way people um, often shun others because they don't want to confront them about themselves. Um, so yeah, so she addresses those like I said in nonfiction as well, and, and uh, knowing her just makes it more interesting for me. Like, oh, yes, that's, that's very much her thinking. And 
um, and it's thinking that I happen to agree with. <laughs> uh, I'm with her uh, for the most part and saying like, yeah, these are very basic truths. You need to be honest with yourself. You need to be honest with other people. You need to look at what's really going on. You need to hear people. You need to confront things that might make you very uncomfortable uh, and say, why is this making me uncomfortable? Uh, you know, what is it that I'm uh, afraid of? You know, we'll link up to all of Sarah's books in our show notes so people can go pick those up. And of course, we'll link up to the Bureau, too, so people yeah. can find you guys. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll catch up again with you in a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks, Greg, for giving us that recommendation. We'll link up to all of Sarah's stuff in the show notes so you guys can find it. So as we do this Memorial Day, this episode comes out on Memorial Day, which means it's the unofficial beginning of summer. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so what better thing to do than to talk about some book recommendations uh, for your summer reading if you're at the beach or taking a vacation or just curling up with a book to, you know, stay out of the hot weather in your air conditioning. <laughs> so what do you have to recommend, sir? So I have five books. We each have five books. Um, my stack, and I believe yours too, these are not new releases, Um we kind of went back into the archives. Did you go retro? I went completely retro. Yeah, you kind of did. I pretty Almost. much went well, retro. No, there's some new stuff. Mine's more retro than yours is. So uh, go go with your first. Go with your first one. That's true. I mean, but <laughs> no, none of this stuff came out this year. Let's put it that way. Um, so my first one, I kind of went way way back uh, into gay fiction history uh, with Gordon Barracks, uh, was typically known as the Peter and Charlie trilogy, and uh, it starts with the Lord won't mind. I, these are some of the very first books that I read when I came out because Will said, you should read these because they're awesome. Um, and they are, um, they're lushly romantic, um, although they don't follow the typical romance tropes per se. Uh, but these two, they get together, they travel around the world. They do very, what I would consider almost Gatsby lifestyle in a way. Would you agree? Um, yeah. I yeah. Think that, yeah. Okay. Um, it's not all happiness for them, but the, the love that they share and the way that it grows through these books makes it for a totally engrossing read. Um, they've recently come out, when I say recent, last year they came out, um, in eBooks. So you can get them finally for your, your e-readers if that's your, your thing. But if you, if you do like romance and you're okay with it, not following the traditional tropes, read these books. They're awesome. And I think they make for good summertime, almost soapy kind of reading. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Okay, my first choice um, uh, is one of the classic kings of the summer beach read. I want to recommend Sidney Sheldon. And the, the book that I highly recommend is probably... Uh, it's... Con I don't know. what it, the, the word is your... His, um, the penult, not the penult. His opus? His, his magnum opus is The Other Side of Midnight. Um, they don't get any bigger or soapier than this one. Uh, I love this book to pieces. I read it, uh, years and years ago. Uh, it still reads, uh, incredibly well. It follows two different women seemingly ha that have absolutely nothing to do with each other, uh, but life and fate intervenes and it brings them together uh, 
and it's uh, an amazing book. It also was turned into an utterly ridiculous 1977 <laughs> movie uh, that incidentally came out, I believe, the same summer as Star Wars. Uh, and Fox was counting on the other side of Midnight to be their big hit that year. Um, they got that wrong, didn't yeah, they? <laughs> well, what are you going to do? Um, so I highly recommend anything, really, by Sidney Sheldon. But Other Side of Midnight, if you want something big and juicy and soapy, uh, you cannot go wrong with this. All right. So, steering a little towards YA for my second choice. It's mm-hmm. hard to go wrong with either David Leviathan or John Green. And hey... They teamed up for a book called Will Grayson, Will Grayson. Fancy that. Um, This is a a very interesting book. You've got two teenage characters, both named Will Grayson, who live in separate towns, but they are brought together for one bizarre evening with all of their friends. Um, I don't want to give away too much because this was a trippy read because you had these two characters who are very alike, but yet not alike. Uh, it is some of these guys' writing. I mean, you can you can pick out some of where the John Greenisms are, where the David Leviathan isms are. Um, there's also a great sequel to this um, that is the Tiny Cooper story, which was released. Uh, I think it was late 2015, and is actually in the form of a musical script, as if it was done for a musical stage. There's also a big musical in here too, which not a bad thing. Um, so pick this up, Delightful YA. If you're a fan of either of these authors and you haven't read this, you got to get it. And if this is your entree to either of them, although it seems hard to believe that most folks haven't read John Green at this point, um, highly recommended. That's true. You have not read that book, have you? Technically, I have not read him. But no. you've seen the movie. I've seen the movie. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So give this a shot. Good, good, very good YA right here. And, and again, with these two authors, also hard to go wrong with any of their books that you might pick up. Mm-hmm. Okay, for my second choice, uh, I would like to recommend The Queen of the Beach Reads. Uh, Last year when Jackie Collins passed away, um, it hit me surprisingly hard. It was really, really, really sad. Um, I love Jackie. She's she's an amazing woman, uh, and I really admire what she was able to accomplish in her life and her career, uh, and her books are fucking amazing. <laughs> Let's just put that out there. So, I highly recommend picking up any of Jackie's books. They're phenomenal. Uh, you could always go classic with something like Hollywood Wives. That's a great book. Um, if you want to... What was the word I, I just came up with? Magnum opus? Magnum? Well, ma- okay, I don't think that really applies to this... Uh, uh, in this particular That's instance. an epic series, is what that is. Um, but if you really want to dig into Jackie Collins and what she's all about, uh, check out the Lucky Santangelo series. Um, Lucky Santangelo is essentially the fictional doppelganger of Jackie herself. She's sort of like everything uh, that Jackie is and was and wanted to be. Uh, the first book in the Lucky Santangelo series is Chances. Uh, it's a big, fat, uh, crazy, soapy book, and most of the book follows Lucky's father, Gino Santangelo. And uh, Jackie Collins uh, was fascinated by Mario Puzo and The Godfather, and Chances is essentially her kind of 
sort of extra sexy, glitzy take on that sort of uh, Italian-American gangster uh, epic. Because it follows Gino and his uh, rise to fame as a gangster and then his life as a uh, successful um, hotelier in Las Vegas and uh, it covers Lucky's early years. So uh, give Chances by Jackie Collins a try if you haven't already. That's a, that's a good series. You, <laughs> I remember you got me to read that series. Good stuff. And uh, it's really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What's next for you? So, You Can't Have Summer Without a Superhero. And we have the aptly titled Hero by Perry Moore. Um, this is another YA book. You've got uh, 16, I think he's 16. He's a teenager, Tom. Um, typical teenager, basketball player, goes to school. He is the son of a fallen superhero who has been left um, kind of as an outcast his mother's been kidnapped because of the things that went down with his dad. Um, but he discovers that not only is he growing up gay, but he's also starting to manifest superpowers. And he doesn't quite know what to do with that, but he's actually recruited into the league where his father kind of didn't want him to end up. Um, it's an amazing story of this young man growing up, coming to grips with his superpowers, coming to grips with the history that he's got with his dad, um, what happened to his mom, um, it's unfortunate uh, Perrymore passed away before he actually wrote anything else. This was his one and only novel. Um, at, when he passed away, Showtime was actually looking at adapting this into a series. Um, and that never happened. Uh, but this is a really good example of superhero YA right here. So, you know, pass up a superhero movie and read this book. Okay, my next recommendation... Um, uh... I, I imagine anyone who's listening to this podcast already has read this series and knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Tales of the City by Amherstead Maupin. Now, uh, I don't even know what I really need to say about this. <laughs> um, it's amazing. I love these characters so, so much. Um, if you haven't given them a try, please do. You will not be disappointed. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, the series starts out with Marianne Singleton when she arrives in the big city in San Francisco, circa the er, no mid seventies, yeah. mid, mid mid to late. Oh gosh, maybe I should look here. Wait, I don't know, mid to late seventies. Uh, and she finds her way in the city, uh, finding uh, friends and love and adventure. Uh, some crazy-ass adventures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the stuff that happens to Marianne Singleton over the series, it is bananas. Anyway, I highly recommend these books. Uh, amazing characters, amazing stories, uh, uh, amazing series of um, uh, televised miniseries movies mm-hmm. that came out several years ago. Love them to pieces. Also, um, if you've read all of the books in the original series, be sure to check out Armistead's most recent books, uh, where he takes a look at the the lives of Michael Tolliver and Marianne and Anna Madrigal uh, as they are living now in the present. Uh, the most recent book, uh, The Days of Anna Madrigal, uh, is, oh my god, uh, if you love these characters as much as I do, you will ugly cry hard. It's an amazing, amazing so book. 
Uh, so please check out uh, anything, really, by Armistead Maupin and Tales of the City. Yeah, you won't go wrong with that. That's that's easily, what, nine books to get you through between the original six of Tales and the three updates? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, if I had to pick a place to go on vacation for the summer, <laughs> that yeah, or really any time, yeah. it, it would be St. Nachos. I agree. Uh, this fictional town uh, that uh, Z.A. Maxfield uh, created in, in Southern California uh, is a delightful, delightful place. Uh, the original St. Nachos sold me on her as a writer uh, with its tale of this man who is essentially broken and looking for a place to, to hide out from his family and his problems. And he wanders into St. Nachos. Uh, where he is transformed by the town and its citizens and the nice guy that he meets. Mm -hmm. uh, there are, I believe it's four books in this series. Um, please write another one, Sam. I know you're thinking about it. Uh, they've also recently come out on audio, so you can get your, your audio groove on if you choose to. But I just, there, there's so much good stuff in these books about each each of the men who comes to St. Nachos needs some kind of redemption. Um, and they find it there. And it's a town where you really wish you could just go and hang out because everybody everybody treats each other like you would want them to in a town of this size. There's it's just it's it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Life should be like this yeah. in so many ways. Yeah, it's so good yeah. stuff. St. Nachos, book one through book four from Zam, go get them. So I know Jeff and I have been suggesting a lot of series and my next pick uh, won't disappoint. Um, <laughs> I recommend another retro read. If you haven't given Victor J. Bannis's The Man from Camp series a try, I highly recommend you do. Um, Victor wrote these books in the late 60s as paperback originals. And he, um, he dashed them off, I think, in his autobiography. He mentions writing them very quickly, off the cuff. He didn't give them a whole lot of thought. Uh, but, uh, oh my god, they're all so weird and wacky and entertaining. Um, the books, and the, the series in particular, is sort of a takeoff on the spy, the spy-fi craze that was going on at the time with James Bond and everything else. The title itself is a take on uh, The Man from UNCLE. Uh, to give you an idea of where this uh, particular series starts off. The first book, uh, That Man from Camp, is actually pretty tame. It's a pretty standard uh, detective story about uh, Jackie Holmes, uh, who has a, a secret office in a seedy gay bar, uh, and it's a tack poodle, and his fancy car where and he drives around and solves crimes uh, and the series gets weirder after that um, there's one where he fights a megalomaniac in an underwater city uh, there is one where uh, called gothic gay uh, which has a really ridiculous sort of mystery Agatha Christie vibe where Jackie and some of his compatriots from previous books are all lured to a, a remote castle and they're stranded there uh, and they have to solve a murder and it's, uh, I love all of the books that I've read so far in the series most of them have been uh, reprinted uh, in uh, various collections and you can find those online so give uh, the Man from Camp, 
uh, a try. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I'm surprised to hear he dashed those off. Yeah, he wrote them real quick. That's yeah. amazing because they read like well thought out. It's not really what I'm headed for because they are well thought out. But they read like something that took some time to put all the pieces together and construct it all. So that's that's really cool. Um, so my last one to, to go on the action adventure route uh, is Fathoms 5. And there's a series currently of three books. And word on the street is that uh, Jeffrey Knight's working on a fourth one, which is really good. Um, this series is essentially uh, like Indiana Jones uh, with a bunch of hot gay men at the center <laughs> of it. Um, Professor Fathom has gathered these five guys. Um, they're all hunks. There's like a, a model and art expert. There's a biologist and physician. Uh, there's a cowboy who's, of course, an expert in cartography, because why wouldn't you be? Um, a college student football star who's majoring in ancient history, and then just an adventurer for hire along for the ride. These boys get into the middle of some crazy adventures, chasing things around the world. Um, it's very, I think there's a little James Bond in there, there's a little uh, Indiana Jones in there. Uh, and just a whole lot of just amazing adventures with some really hot, steamy stuff going on too. Because <laughs> you know, when you're when you're captured by somebody, you do need to take them to bed to help get out of that problem. <laughs> um, these books, though, are so much fun to read. Uh, I love everything about them. Can't wait for the next one. Hurry up, Jeff. What's the first book called? Fathoms Five: The Cross of Sins. Yeah. Uh, when we link to these in the show notes, um, you'll see a much more current cover than what I'm holding up because this is the vintage uh, first edition release that I have from Starbucks, and it's since been uh, reprinted and re-released by, uh, I believe, Wild City actually did the re-release on it. Um, so yeah, pick this up. So my final recommendation is for the ladies, or specifically for the ladies who love the ladies. <laughs> I'm going to talk about... Anne Bannon and uh, her series. I'm all about series. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all that we, I... We both... I put a lot of series out there, too. About. Okay, this is series for the summer. How about... Let's just rename the segment. Series to get you through the summer. Um, I did have two, one standalone. We, you had a couple of standalones. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I know I've spoken about Anne Bannon uh, in the past... Uh, I still highly recommend the Bebo Brinker Chronicles. Mm -hmm. uh, they're amazing. She is the queen of lesbian paperbacks. We have had the uh, opportunity to see Anne in person uh, only once. Only once. Once. Yeah. And, uh, she's remarkable. She's amazing. Uh, the books are phenomenal. Uh, the first book in the series called Odd Girl Out um, follows Beth and Laura and their there's ten tentative blossoming romance in college. Uh, I am <laughs> when I re when I read this book, uh, I was a, a very young gay man in my twenties. I had like just come out, uh, so I really, really identified with Laura as she was uh, exploring uh, the gay world as it was in the early nineteen uh, fifties. Uh, and let's just say Laura was, is and was a, a bit of a drama queen, <laughs> um, which is, I mean, in in context of the story, is perfectly understandable because she's experiencing 
everything for the very first time, and it's an incredibly big deal. There's a lot of emotion that goes with all of that. Uh, so uh, I really, I was a, such a Laura in my 20s. Oh my god, you have no idea. Anyway, so I really uh, love this book and the rest of the books in this series, The People Brinker Chronicles. Mm -hmm. uh, we, uh, I happen to have this uh, old gold medal paperback edition of Odd Girl out, but we also own an omnibus edition of uh, that collects most of the books in the series in a single volume. So, um, yeah, look for that. I believe, actually, all of the books in the series were also reprinted by Cleese Press as well. So, Anne Bannon, check her out. These books are really, really great. And if you have places where you could find the old paperbacks, all those covers are so good. There's yeah. such good pulp uh, paperbacks there. So, those are our, some of our summer recommendations. Of course, we'd love to hear what your recommendations might be. Uh, and encourage you to leave those in the show notes for episode 34. And, of course, everything that we've recommended, we will hook up on Amazon. So you can click and go buy to your heart's content. And where can they find all these links? BigGayFictionPodcast.com Awesome. All right. Do you, I think that'll do it for this week's episode. I think it does. We will say that coming up next week for episode 35... We have Richard Pearson here, who will talk about his debut novel, The Role. Plus, we also kick off the 2016 GRL blog tour uh, with Jamie Reese. Oh, that should be awesome. Yeah, it'll be a good show next week. Okay. All right, so you guys enjoy the this first unofficial week of summer, and we'll see you back here next week. See you next time, guys. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. New episodes are available every Monday at iTunes and other major podcast outlets. While there, subscribe to the show and please consider leaving a review. For detailed show notes, links, and to sign up for the monthly newsletter, visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs>